fuck it. We'll do it live. Oh, I got to close my door. <laughs> you know how there are some YouTube clips that like they were a big thing for a while and then, you know, they don't like age well or they're just become past. That is one clip that like you can watch it anytime, anywhere. It's always gold. Anytime. Fuck it. We'll do it live. You can watch that any age. Doesn't matter. It's 10 years old. It's 15 years old. It's 20 years old. Doesn't matter. Gold. Every single time. Are you recording? Yes, I am. All right, great. Oh, wait. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. No, I meant because I couldn't remember if I unmuted my own. That's true. You just answered my question. <laughs> what the fuck am I? I <laughs> what am I even saying? <laughs> anyway, what I love about that video more than anything is that it's the whole video. Yeah. Like when you listen to Christian Bale blow his lid on some sound guy, the whole thing kind of sucks, but there are like key little moments that stand out. And with the Bill O'Reilly freak out, it's all gold. There's a part at the end where he's like, wait a minute, what does that even mean to play us out? What does that mean? And everyone's silent because they don't know if he's being like facetious or whatever, being like metaphorical. And then he's like, does it mean to end the show? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, well, why not just say end the show then? <laughs> That's when he gets upset is he's like, fine, fuck it. We'll do it. There's no words on it. <laughs> like every piece of it is so good. It's also one of those things where it's not, if they, I feel almost bad for him. If it was like Bill O'Reilly's first day or like his first week, or, like this guy is a, is a journalist who has been in the business for years for years and he's using lingo that even me with a passing glance at on how the business works i'm like i know just using context clues i can tell all of the terms that are coming out of your mouth and i could tell you what they mean and he's like what does that mean what do you mean by that i'm like how have you never interacted with didn't you just do a show yesterday with these people didn't they use that term then are they just springing this on you fresh and new what are you talking also about? i hate to say it but like it one it really showed that like what the fox news correspondents are are talking heads like someone else feeds what they're saying to them and then it goes in through the eyes and out through the mouth and that's their job right but like so do that bill if that's your job right because it's so like his first problem is that there's no words on the teleprompter so he doesn't know what to say okay that means that you are incapable <laughs> Of making your own dialogue, making your own, your own thoughts and saying them. Just ad libbing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So read the words then. You don't need to know what they mean because it's not like someone is sitting next to him and, and like a guest is there and is going to be like, play us out. What the fuck does that mean, Bill? Are you high? Like, it's just him. So he doesn't have to explain it. You know? <laughs> like if it had been something super weird... Or something, some some reference he didn't understand. Right. And there was a guest on the show. Okay, maybe you want you want to be like, hey, just in case my guest asks about that, what, what is that? I don't know what that is. I need to learn yeah. more about that. That's one thing. Just ending the show by saying Sting is going to play us out with a cut off his new album. Just read it. Just whatever. <laughs> Who knows? And then something happens. What if he said, what does that mean? Does that mean to end the show? And they were like, no, Bill, it means to enslave all of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what else could be the reasoning behind asking what does it mean yeah like you have to be worried that it means something totally weird maybe they thought maybe he thought like they were gonna be like no bill you don't understand if you look behind your chair there's a keytar behind you we need you to pick it up you're gonna go over sting's gonna be here you're gonna join him in a duet because it's your show 
And that's how we're going to end the show is you playing an instrument. And he's like, now I'm going to learn an instrument. I would pay so much money to see, to see Bill O'Reilly play a guitar to just see Bill O'Reilly do something musically on stage with Sting. Oh man. Have you seen Robert Downey Jr. Sing with Sting? Yeah. From Ally McBeal. No, actually that, that's Bon Jovi. Oh no, 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 no. This is a live Cause no, no, no. Sting made a, a appearance on really? I know Bon Jovi. Yeah, no, but I know the I know the one you're you're talking about. Yeah, he yeah. sang um Driven to Tears, I think. It's yes. real good. Yeah, and he sounds like Sting. He really sounds great. <laughs> he yeah. Sounds, yeah, he comes on and he's like and you're like, damn, holy shit. He's got an album. He's got a couple albums. He does. They're not good. Good. They're not good. They're not good. Yeah. They're not Jim, Jeremy Renner bad. But they're not good. I just defended on Twitter. We actually just defended on Twitter because it's our account. Somebody saying they were like, I can't believe this scene was in Endgame or like this line or something, this dialogue. And it was um, Jeremy Renner saying, at least that's what the red floating guy told me. Why don't you get your hammer and go talk to him? And someone was just like, I can't believe that Jeremy Renner had to say this line in a movie. And I was like, anyone who dislikes this dialogue or this scene doesn't understand it then because the whole point of this is that clint has no idea what the fuck he's saying he's like i don't know any of this i shoot sticks at people i'm a guy with a bow and arrow right which and the, that's not the only whole point are of that you dialogue. all super powered i'm using a weapon that's outdated with normal people yes what the hell? that's the whole point is he's like i don't know what any of this is i'm just a guy who shoots pointy things at people do you understand that long ago i made a terrible choice the red floaty guy told me that i had to kill our friend in order to save the universe and you are a god of thunder who has a magical hammer that only you can lift except evidently in an hour and a half that guy's gonna lift it so i don't know what's happening i'm going to alternate dimensions people are disappearing you're a god of thunder you know what i haven't wrapped my head around yet guns i mean come on guys give me a little leeway here <laughs> he does hey he does upgrade to a sword in endgame though that's true way to go i can't wait till he gets to the javelin what if every movie he just upgraded and then he's like i have a catapult now <laughs> why did he switch from weapons to transportation no wait catapult is the thing with the boulder right if that's the that's true well it's yeah i was i was more talking about like I guess it's, a I was thinking about like Olympics, like the javelin. I was like, is that a, is a javelin a weapon? You know why? Because I meant to say spear and for some reason it didn't come out of my mouth. I don't know the difference between a javelin and a spear. You know what? Can we go back and I'll just say it again and, and I'll say spear and then you can just edit that line into the conversation. Yes. Damn it. I was hoping you would say no. Can you go back and say no? <laughs> I can. I tell you what I'll do. Right now, I'll say the word no, and then I'll edit the word no and no, put it- No, fuck it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Welcome to the media. Wait, no, I got to do it again because I got to redo the knobs all over again. We're doing it live, Chris. God damn it. Welcome to the media lunch break, bringing you all of your comic geek and movie news all in the time it takes to eat a good sandwich and completely fuck up this new level. My name is Chris Treville. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Dunn, who I owe an apology to because I've blown out his eardrums in editing. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. I could re- get I could, the hang of it, bud. Yeah, thanks. 
I'm not used to having this thing in front of me that I can actually control this whole thing. Here's the good news. <clears throat> the first thing I do when I get our audio is I compress it, which means that like the loud parts become quiet and the quiet parts become loud. So it won't blow up my eardrums. It'll just ruin the audio. Oh, well, I'm great at that. I can, <laughs> I'm really good at that. Oh, don't I know it. Do you want me to do another one? No. I think I can do another one. Can I try another one? No, Chris. Can I try it? Chris. We have done this podcast for three years and you have ruined every single audio file. It's okay. So now it's it's a staple. Yeah, it's okay if five seconds of this one is bad. No, no, no. I w- no, I, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get maybe not on this episode. What if we just did a whole episode of me just doing the intro over and over and over and over and over Now again. that's quality content. Isn't it just? Isn't it just? You know what I like about that idea? I can leave. <laughs> <laughs> the episode or the podcast as a whole i mean if every episode i would encourage you to do that every episode and then i can just go to bed okay we can do that that's fine do you want to come back in like an hour and just turn off your turn off your thing uh, turn off oof, that sounded dirty i'll turn off your thing wait no that's not right that's not right at all what's going on uh we've upgraded the equipment but the rants remain the same yeah I mean, this is going to be one of those things where I feel like we got better equipment and better audio quality. It's like when HD first came out and they're like, it's going to ruin the whole idea of a movie star because now you're going to see how imperfect they all look. It's it's one of those things where like the rants are going to stay exactly the same, but the audio quality is going to be better. But now you're going to just see how what a complete shit show they are. Yeah, people had no idea what a complete shit show we were before this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, Andrew... Sometimes you go to a movie and you're like, well, not anymore. But, you know, sometimes you watch a movie. <laughs> it got too real, Chris. It got too real. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Sometimes you sit down to watch a movie and you're like, I like this movie. I like this movie. I like the people who are in it. I like all the leads in it that I'm going to watch for the whole movie. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, there's that guy from that other thing. And he's only in it for two minutes. And that's called a cameo. And there have been some really great cameos in the in the history of cinema, have there not? No, I don't think so. Okay, excellent. Well, we're going to talk about some of my favorite cameos, some of your favorite cameos, or really just maybe not favorites at all. Maybe just the ones that we all found on the internet that I want to talk about today. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Yeah, it sounds good, man. Let's do it. Sometimes cameos happen and they have an interesting story behind them. And I thought, why not? Why not share some of that? Because it's a fun part of going to see a movie. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Sure. I don't have any of the stories behind any of mine. I just thought we could talk about why they're cool. Excellent. That's just as good and just as valid. The podcast is still free. So, you know, quit your bitching. For now. With content like this. I'll tell you what. It's going to be free until I get this intro correct. And then (laughs) we are taken off. All right. And then fuck around and find out. Yeah, man. Listen, a lot of times you'll have a cameo of a good big time movie star. You get a lot, especially in in um, a lot of the, the movies that we've talked about on the show. Some good Marvel movies have some great cameos in it. Like, for instance, there's one actor in particular that I'm going to go out right now from the gate. OK, and I'm going to crown him basically like the king of the cameos because he has a bunch of them and I can't think of a bad one yet. And that is Mr. Matt Damon, who has been cameoed in a number of things. Of course, we all know Thor Ragnarok. 
one of the best cameos, probably one of the best cameos I would say in the entire entire MCU, where he portrays Thor. No, he yes, he's no, no, he's Loki in the play on Asgard. But Thor in the play is played by Luke Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth brother and a third cameo to go with that with sam neil as odin i don't know why i said it like that i don't know either i had this one as well and uh sam neil taika watiti had worked with before on hunt for the wilder people and so he had that connection with him I honestly am not sure. I mean, Luke Hemsworth must have been a favor to Chris Hemsworth, but like, I, I think it's a, it's a nod. It's a nod to well, like, like yeah. it must have been like, Hey, do you think your brother would do this? And he was probably like, yeah, he'd fucking find it hilarious. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So those two make sense to me, but like getting Matt Damon to play Loki is so out of left field. And I don't know how it happened. It is. And that's what kind of makes it great, which is kind of what makes a good cameo, I think, is when they come out of left field. Yeah. It's funny because Matt Damon is, like, great at cameos. He pops up in a lot of stuff, but it's always out of left field. For some reason, I have not, my brain is not accustomed to itself to the fact that Matt Damon will cameo and stuff. And I'm still surprised every time he shows, like, he shows up in Deadpool 2 as the, like, the fat redneck. Oh, yeah, in Deadpool that's 2. right. He's almost unrecognizable. Yeah, but it's great, and he lands it. What Actually, the cameo, though, that I wanted to talk about with Matt Damon, my favorite Matt Damon cameo, is from the movie Eurotrip. Oh. Have you ever seen the movie Eurotrip? I mean, I think so, but I think it was on TV, so it was like 20 minutes of it. Right, exactly. So Eurotrip, for those of you who don't know, back when... We were in high school. They had all those teen road trip movies, like the, like the teen comedy movies. Your American Pie, your road trip, your blah, blah, blah. And your trip was like right on the tail end of this. So here's the thing. Here's, I'm going to set the scene, right? So basically, there's a party scene in which one of the best songs I've ever heard in a movie ever is played at this party. And the band is playing and they start playing a song called Scotty Doesn't Know. The lead character of the movie is Scotty. And the whole song is about how Scotty doesn't know that this singer is fucking his girlfriend. <laughs> and it plays throughout like the rest of the movie. So in this scene, Matt Damon cameos as the lead singer, right? And he is, this is Matt Damon at like, I mean, he's still an A-list star now, but this is like height of Matt Damon-ness. And he shows up in this random teen movie. And the story behind this is great because they shot this movie in Prague and it just so happened that Matt Damon was also shooting in Prague. He was shooting Brothers Grimm and they said, hey, would you happen to like to just cameo in this movie? And he's like, fuck it. They, they put me in a wig. I'll shave my head. You put me in a bunch of fake piercings and some tattoos. And he went and shot this scene for like a day. He had a day off. He just went over to this other movie shoot and shot it. The other great thing about this is the song that he sings, Scotty Doesn't Know, it's written by the brother of his college roommate and his college roommate is in the band in the movie. That's a cool nod. Yeah. 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 So it's this weird, again, you, it's this great scene where you don't expect Matt Damon to just pop up, to expect like an A-list star in this like B-level, C-level teen sex movie. Was he an A-list star at that point? Yes. Yeah. This was after the Oscar. Wow. Yeah. He shows up and you're just like, what the f Fuck. It's one of those ones where, you, where you're almost like, that can't be Matt Damon. He's way too big for this. But it is. And it's lovely. And it's wonderful. You looking it up? That's 2004. Yeah. What's the name of that movie he did? Where he was like, I'm so smart. Goodwill Hunting? Yeah, that's the one. 
Because that was his first really big one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like 10 years after. Man, I remember Eurotrip being much earlier than 2004. I'll tell you what. Also, Eurotrip, actually not that bad. I've heard that about a lot of those movies. Like, there's there's one that's like a beer one that's supposedly very good. Beer Fest? Yeah. Those are the Broken Lizard guys. Those are the same guys that did uh, Super Troopers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that gets lumped in with all the other ones, but it's... It's not. It's not like that. I think it's more akin to Super Troopers. When you search, when did Eurotrip come out? The fourth image is Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. You like that image? It's, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> it's haunting. Yeah. Also, if you've never heard Scotty Doesn't Know, give it a listen. It's like, I, like I said, I actually love this song. And it's it's one of those songs you... Like peak 2004 music. Yeah, it's really good. The MCU, like we were just talking about, has a lot of really good cameos. Stan Lee is a really good one. But instead of Stan Lee, I, I want to set the stage for you. I want you to imagine it's 2006. I go to see X-Men uh, Last Stand. It's a disappointing film. I leave. And then the next day I find out there was something after the credits. And I'm like, oh my God, I should have fucking stayed. And I look everywhere and I can't find it. I didn't end up seeing... The movie was so bad I didn't want to see it again. So I didn't end up seeing the post credit scene of that movie for years. And people said, it's the best part of that movie. And they were right. And I, I didn't get to see it for years and I was so devastated. So fast forward to the start of the MCU. I'm a little older, I'm a little wiser. And I'm seeing Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie with my friends. And they all get up to leave. And they're the same friends I saw that last X-Men movie with. Uh, last stand and I'm like don't you fucking dare I learned my lesson we're gonna sit and we're gonna wait and they were like come on there's probably nothing even after this and I was like I don't give a shit I want to see this it might be something and we sit down in the theater and we wait for the credits to end and Samuel Jackson comes out and he's Nick Fury and he says he wants to talk about the Avengers initiative and my mind was blown and this one is a twofer because I was like okay cool they're setting up a sequel the next Iron Man movie is probably going to set up the Avengers so then I go to see the Hulk after the credits of the Hulk Robert Downey Jr. comes out and I was like oh my god they're mixing all of these movies together because we knew that they were coming out with a Hulk movie, a Captain America movie and a Thor movie. But who cares? They're all going to be different. They're all completely separate movies. That's the way movies, comic book movies had always been done. Like you're never going to mix your Superman movies with your Batman movies. You know, they're they're all their own thing. But here we are kicking it off if they can fucking figure it out. And I remember being like this nobody, John Favreau. This guy who I had only previously known as one of the guys that Monica dates in Friends. Which I don't know if you even knew that about him. Oh, I knew. He was the extreme fighter. He's the rich guy who becomes an extreme fighter. I, I know Friends. I'm a white guy. Great. And I remember being like, God, I hope they can pull this off. <laughs> And they did. Like, that's a cameo that literally set up an entire cinematic franchise that would catapult into a decade and beyond. I remember the moment I saw the post credit scene in Iron Man. I actually still remember it to this day. I was with I was with a group of friends. Eric Scottolotti, friend of the show, was sitting next to me. And at that point, I think we were standing. We were just standing up. <laughs> I thought you were going to say at that point, I think we were dating. Well, by the time that that cameo ended by certain culture standards, we were married <laughs> because we started just immediately grabbing at each other and just hugging and jumping up and down 
And uh, I think we made out a little bit. I don't. I think we just didn't know what to do with ourselves, and we had to. We just fell into some sort of energy. You know, that but, reminds me. This one isn't on my list, but uh, it's so. It's not really a cameo, but Spider-Man in Civil War. You literally held my hand when the word Queens showed up. I did hold your hand. <laughs> yes, I held your hand, and it was oh, it was magical. I was so fucking was, happy. I know that uh, I about, held your, about the I, about the movie. Yeah, sure. About the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what? I meant I meant about the movie. The way you held my hand said something different, baby. That wasn't my hand. I thought it felt girthy. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's tremendous that with maybe a 30 second clip, they were able to kick off something that extended 11 whole years and ended up in the most in the biggest movie of all time. And it's still going. And just to do that with that 30 second clip, the idea of like just throwing that in. I mean, if they had left that off. I don't know that we'd have, yeah, they probably still would have gone with the four other movies and an Avengers movie and they could have still had that, but there was something magical about like, hey, we're going to kick this off at the very end. We're going to leave you with a little taste of what's going to come next to keep you coming back. That's what gave the the whole universe its connectivity is those post credit scenes and those little cameos to go, I want to see what comes next because this is now a chapter and not just an individual movie. It kind of changed the idea of like what a cameo can be other than just a fun thing where a famous person shows up, just a fun thing where Matt Damon pops his head in or something. It changes the whole landscape of like, this is a cameo, which could then garner a whole other franchise, a whole other set of movies, a whole other storyline to it. I, I also wonder, I wonder if it would have gotten the ball rolling if we didn't know they were all connected. Because like... Right. How many people like I know Iron Man made a little bit of money, but I I don't know that they could have kept it up if people didn't know they were leading to something. That's what I'm saying is there was something that's what made it that something extra that went with it. You know, like they already had the movies planned, but it might have gone more the way of DC's movies. If we didn't know that it was leading, like if the Avengers came out and we were like, oh shit, all these are together. Yeah. Then maybe it would have fixed itself retroactively. But like, I don't think anyone would have gone to see Captain America or Thor. Right. But that's what I mean. I think the magic of that is that feeling of that connectivity that that cameo gave is the idea of like, from the get go, you're going, oh, this is all one storyline. It's not four storylines that then they're going to like magically converge it's just one whole storyline and we just saw the first chapter of it all right this is one of my favorites this is a lot of people's probably favorite cameo of all time but i also i love the story behind this cameo uh and that is bull murray's cameo in zombie land oh i have that one too yeah it's one of the of course you do it's on every top cameo list of all time it is absolutely magic if you haven't even seen zombie land you don't have to just just go and watch the Bill Murray cameo because it holds its own. It's basically like a sketch in the middle of the movie. You know what I mean? It doesn't even matter. You just know that they're hunting zombies. That's the only background thing you have to know about this cameo. And after that, you can just watch this whole thing from beginning to end. And it's a little movie within the movie, which is fantastic. What I love about this, for those of you who don't know, so zombie hunters with Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg, they roll into a mansion And they encounter what they think is a zombie Bill Murray. And it's actually just regular Bill Murray. And he's posing as himself. He makes himself look like a zombie so that zombies don't bother him. And he's just living his Bill Murray life 
living the way he does. What I love about this is that he was not originally intended to be the person in that cameo. And in fact, the sheer people who who have come up who could have been in that spot changes the whole trajectory of, of what that scene is. The, actually, the first person that they intended to have in there, do you know who it was? Patrick Swayze. Oh. Yeah, they were actually going to have Patrick Swayze as the person who cameos in Zombieland, but he had become really ill. And so by the time that they were shooting, he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't well enough to do it. And then they went through a couple of other people. And finally, they they got to a point, actually, that they rewrote the scene to have no cameo in it at all. And they got to the day of shooting and the directors were just like, I just, I really want a cameo that I want a, some star to come in here. And they went to Woody Harrelson and they said, who of your friends do you think you could get to show up? Who do you think would do this? And he said two names. One was Bill Murray and the other one, Dustin Hoffman. Imagine Dustin Hoffman in this scene. It's a totally different scene. It is. Completely but Bill Murray, somehow word got back to Bill Murray, who is notoriously hard to get to. Bill Murray, for those of you who don't know, he does not have an agent. He does not have a manager. The way you contact Bill Murray, this is true, is through a 1-800 number that leads to an answering machine that he himself said he rarely checks. And so they somehow got in contact with Bill Murray and Bill Murray was like, yeah, I'll do that. And rolled on in. And shot for a day. And that is the that is the cameo that we get. It's one of the greatest cameos of all time. And it could have gone a million different ways. You know what I think makes that cameo as good as it is? What? Bill Murray. Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> you, know what, you know what I think? Like, there's actually... I think that cameo is a good cameo. But honestly, what really made it, like... What made it stick in my mind after seeing it in theaters? So I was like, oh, Bill Murray's in this. And oh, yeah, he's being pretty funny. That's pretty good. The one thing that makes me always go back to it is his last line in the scene. Yes. I don't know how they got the go ahead to do that. It's so strange to have an actor in a big budget movie badmouth something he has done. Like you never, ever see that. And it's so weird. Yeah. Imagine they kept the same script if it was Dustin Hoffman. What would he have said? Ishtar. I don't even know what that is. Ishtar is like one of the biggest flops in, in history. Great. The audience would have watched that and been like, I don't know what that is. You know? But everyone fucking knows Garfield. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think it's one of those things. Where, I think one of the, the things that makes it so great and so memorable, not only is it it's a big star bashing his own movie, but it's the fact that like the audience goes in kind of knowing a little, they know a little something about Bill Murray. He's an entity unto himself. His personality outside of movies is also kind of prevalent to a lot of audience members and like what he's like outside of movies. They've seen him act up on the golf course. They've seen him on Letterman and things like that. And so they know him. And so they, they, they're like, oh, that's so Bill Murray. And, and it's one of those things that's kind of great because he can do it and he's the type of star that can get away with it because he's like, I mean, what are you going to do? Not cast me? I'm like, I'm Bill Murray. I'm an Oscar nominee. I'm one of the greatest people to ever grace the screen. I'm hilarious in everything I do. I Like, you don't, if you don't want to cast me, you don't have to cast me anymore. But A, uh, and B, we all know it's a bad movie. Everyone knows it's a bad movie. If he had been, if he had said Ghostbusters, you know, that's a different story. But everyone can agree that 
Garfield, even the people who made Garfield know that Garfield's a bad movie. There's this video by the YouTube channel Wisecrack that's called The Philosophy of Bill Murray. And it's basically about how every character he plays is exactly the same in that they don't give a shit about anything. And that's Bill Murray's entire like Zen persona. Yeah, his comedic persona. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so like th- that's another thing that to piggyback off of what you're saying, they know who Bill Murray is, not just because they've seen him in real life, but because they've seen his real life in movies. He's just always Bill Murray. And it's so interesting. I mean, I also don't want it to sound like that's a crack at him because there are actors like um I almost said John McClane, uh fucking Bruce Willis that uh who also clearly don't give a shit when they're acting. And I don't, I wish I could, I'm not a good enough like thespian to be able to tell you exactly what the difference is, but like, it's very clear. Neither of them give a shit when they're in films, but Bill Murray is just so much better to watch. I think what that is, is when you watch someone like Bruce Willis phone it into a movie that he's clearly not interested in being in, he's like tired and act. He's almost actively not trying And Bill Murray, it's not that he doesn't give a shit, like he doesn't care to try in something. His philosophy is like, you just let things happen. You go, you know, you let it in and you let it out. And and you just, I actually went to a talk back for one of his movies that he was there. And he talks about one of the reasons he loves golf is the Zen feeling of the golf swing of you just bring it forward and you let it go back and you bring it forward and you let it go back. And the key to a golf swing is not powerhousing it. Uh, Unlike a baseball swing where you're trying to put muscle behind it, the key to a golf swing is to actually be loose and let the club do the work and let the club just swing. And that's his philosophy of life is you just let things happen and you let them unfold. So when he's doing a movie and he's acting in it, it looks effortless because it's not that he's not giving effort. He's just allowing things to happen and then letting that affect what comes next. And he's just letting things come in and go out. It's very interesting. That's very Caddyshack. Like, isn't that like a monologue from Caddyshack? It is the exact monologue from Caddyshack. It's why it's how he ended up making up that that whole Dalai Lama monologue, which is, I was just he just made that up. up. Yeah. He just made that up on the spot. And he just, but he has that philosophy. He could talk about a bullshit Dalai Lama phrase because he's studied things like that because he's read things about that because he carries that philosophy with him. He's a fascinating individual. <laughs> I almost said Spike Lee. That's how late it is. Stan Lee has been in a number of different cameos, but there is not one that compares to his cameo in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I remember sitting in, Melinda and I had, I forget, I think we wanted to go to the Daredevil panel and we knew it was going to be full. So we got there super early, like hours early. We got in halfway into the Good Omens panel the first season of good omens and uh i was like oh shit it's uh it's what's his face scottish mcgee and then it's what's his face american mcgee and it's what's his face english mcgee it's all those mcgees the mcgees yeah and i remember melinda was with me and i remember i was like oh that's john ham he's this that and the other thing and he's really really funny and she knew um uh scottish mcgee what's his name sean connery from from Good Omens. Ben, uh, oh, 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 oh. He's in Jessica nope. Jones. Hold He's Dr. Nope. Fucking Hold Who. On. What is oh. his name? Right. This is why dads can't have a podcast. <laughs> New title of the podcast, by the way. David, David, uh, no, wait, David Tennant? David Tennant. 
Yes. I did that without looking it I up. I don't For believe those you. of you listening, David Tennant. I did that without looking it up. So she knew David Tennant and he was there. It was a whole thing. It was a lot of fun. And we were also like, oh, okay, cool. By the way, we started watching Good Omens. I'm not a fan, but we can talk about it later. And then we had to sit through another panel, but we were able to move up a little bit because all the people who came there to see Scottish McGee left. So we were able to move up a little bit and we moved up. And when we moved up, they started the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse panel. And I was like, well, it's a cartoon movie. It's for kids, but whatever else, you know. We'll, we'll sit through it. And they came out and they were like, hey, we have a surprise for you guys. We're going to show you the first half of the movie. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And it, they showed us all the way through Stan Lee's cameo. Like right before he died, there was like the crazy family stuff. And like two guys broke into his house with guns. There was the thing about, yeah, about... Um elder abuse to stanley right yeah well and also i remember like it was he was signing stuff and people were like right like he wasn't talking very well and people had to like sort of hold his hand while he signed things and he had helpers now and i remember just like we saw it and i was like oh my god i'm i'm so happy it's the stanley that i remember you know it was so great to see like it was the like hey true believer excelsior you know, you can do anything you put your mind to. And that's his role in the movie is he's like, hey, man, you anyone can be Spider-Man. Even you can. And he's like, you go out there and you be the best you you can be, you know. And I was like, oh, it's so Stanley. Yeah, it's one of those cameos that is interesting because it is affected by the interference of real life. Because by the time the movie premiered, we had just lost him. And so for the people who saw that in the theaters when it came out, it's that powerful like last note, it wasn't obviously his last cameo because you got that in Endgame. But knowing that it, it felt like a, like a final note and a beautiful symphony, it still would have rung nicely, even if he had survived another five years. It was his first cameo after his death. Because the movie came out one month. Yeah, one month after he died. Right, it was his first cameo after his death. And that death was really fresh. And so having him... It's like discovering after losing someone dear to you, it's like discovering a, a voicemail or something that you hadn't heard yet. The one last thing. Hey, before I go off into the great yonder, there's one more thing I have to, I have to tell you. It was that type of a thing. And then he was like, oh, Captain Marvel, there's one last thing I have to tell you. And then he was in Endgame and he was like, there's one last thing I have to tell you. And you're like, come on, man, fucking die already. All right. We get it. Is there anything else? We get it. Do I get the house or don't I, dad? Yeah, it is a beautiful cameo. It's still, I mean, to this to this day, it's one of the, it's one of the ones that you're like, it still tugs at you, you know, because you're right. It is for that brief moment, we got Stanley back the way that we remember him. What he says is his first line in the movie, Stanley's first line is, I'm going to miss him. Oh, yeah. That that hurts. Yeah. <sighs> it's one of those things where fate kind of lines everything up in, in a way that so rarely happens. I got one for you. So this is a cameo. This is not even a good movie, but I like this cameo simply because it addresses an issue that I typically have with certain movies. And that is Bruce Willis's cameo in the movie Ocean's 12. So to set the scene for you, George Clooney and Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt and all the Oceans people, you know, they're stealing a thing from a rich guy. Doesn't matter. Not the point. The point is 
Bruce Willis's cameo happens in this. Have you seen Ocean's 12, by the way? Yes, I have. Okay. So, Ocean- and I know exactly what you're talking you know about because exactly I think it's the dumbest about. fucking thing on the planet. Wait, I just love the fact. So Bruce Willis's cameo is as Bruce Willis and he runs into Julia Roberts character Tess. And the reason that they have her breaking into something where rich and famous people are is because she looks, they feel remarkably like Julia Roberts. Who was married to Bruce Willis at the time. No, incorrect. Oh. They've never been married, sir. Wasn't that a thing? Nope. You're thinking of Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. Then was were they just friends? Because they have a whole scene together. They have a whole scene together, but they're just friends in this world because they're famous people. But I just like it because finally they address the fact that like someone like Julia Roberts, when she's playing a character, actually looks like Julia Roberts. And that never, I understand for some movies that you don't address it, but there are some times when I'm watching a movie, usually it's a romantic movie, when someone's bitching and complaining about having a tough time dating or something. And I'm like, you're one of the most beautiful people on the face of the planet. There's no way that this character doesn't also look like one of the most beautiful people on the face of the planet. None of this is real. And I like that they actually addressed it. Hey, she looks like Julia Roberts. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, it's very similar to um, like the, uh, the oh, what's that bad movie that was based on an okay book about the 80s video games and movies? All of them. Ready Player Ready One. Ready Player One. Yeah, there's that. There's a girl who has like a horrible deformity in the book. Yeah. And in the movie, she's got like a she's rash like on a, her forehead. She's got, yeah, she's got like a scratch. Or like a birthmark or, or yeah. something. It's something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Or like, yeah, they do the same thing with Dinklage in Game of Thrones, don't they? Yeah, they give him like one here. Yeah. But usually, and usually when that happens in a movie, do, have you noticed, they kind of look better. You know what I mean? Like they just look, the, the scar, everyone who gets hit with a scar in a movie or television show somehow only gets hit in the portion of the face or the body that makes them look better looking in hmm. some sort of way. They oh, They only get cut right along the jawline that just makes it, more prominent they never get cut like across like the tip of the nose or just a bad spot maybe across a face and they can't grow a beard anymore and then they gotta shave off their beard and then they just look i don't know that like they have no neck or something like that it's just it always looks good i don't know how everyone in a movie and a television show have such good or bad aim they hit the other person in just the right spot to make the other person better looking. Yeah, even the ones that you would think, like I was thinking about the Princess Bride, that like he gets the Spanish smile, I think is what it's called, which is like the, the cuts on both sides. He still looks fucking great with them. Yeah, he looks fantastic. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't look like uh, Heath Ledger in uh, whatever that movie is. Right. You want to know how I got these scars? I would love to see a version of that scene where he's like, do you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> And he just starts going on a giant backstory of some horrific yeah. thing that his father did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They give Heath Ledger bad looking scars. And what do they do? Cover it up with makeup. Not for the whole movie, though. You see him without it. But isn't it? Is it makeup on top of No, no. I'm thinking of other Joker. Thinking of Jack Nicholson. That's makeup on top of makeup. Heath Ledger is no makeup. You're thinking of Cesar Romero. Well, I mean, who isn't thinking of Cesar Romero? Come on. When they masturbate. Yeah, that's the only... I mean, it's a terrible movie. It's almost not even worth seeing the cameo. I just love that it finally addresses a stupid-ass thing that we all have been ignoring in movies. Anyway. I have a twofer. 
They're both from the movie Deadpool 2. They are not Matt Damon, because I forgot that he was in that movie. Well, then never mind. No, I know. On. Let's move on. No, they are uh, Brad Pitt, who plays the Invisible Man. Wait, really? Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Uh, so there's this... Have you seen Deadpool 2? Yes, I have. So there's a scene where they all parachute out of a out of a plane, and when the Invisible Man lands, like you can see him because it's just a backpack and a parachute floating down out of a plane, and when he lands, he accidentally lands on electrical wire, and he gets electrocuted. And there is a split second where you can see him and he's Brad motherfucking Pitt. That's incredible. That's amazing. And the second, the twofer, the second one in Deadpool 2, and this may surprise you, is Ryan Reynolds. Because Ryan Reynolds played the Juggernaut. Yeah, that one I did know. But that when I, I didn't know it going in and I didn't even know it immediately afterwards. But when I found out, I was like, oh, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't tell, but I saw evidently they were trying to, I forget what the story is, but I think it's like they were trying to figure out who to do it. And Ryan Reynolds was like, fuck it, I'll just I'll do just... it. Or I, oh, it was that they didn't want it to leak. That's what it was. They didn't want anyone to know. So they were like, who can we get who's trustworthy? And Ryan Reynolds was like me. <laughs> yeah, I won't leak anything unless this movie isn't going to get made. Then I'll probably leak it. Just to make sure it gets made. Then I'll leak the whole fucking thing. I like how, they, yeah, actually, that's true. I like how they were like, we don't want this to leak. Who can we trust? And they turned to the one guy who leaked the thing that got the first movie made in the first place. He's like, I'm a trustworthy source. They don't know source. that. I won't Maybe leak it anything. it wasn't him. It was him. It might not have been him. It was 100% him. He's all but admitted it. I will say it worked. Like he didn't leak. That's true. He that's didn't. Fair. He didn't leak that the Juggernaut was in it. Yeah, that's a good point. But I do. Yeah, I do like that he is the Juggernaut. He cameos in his own movie, which is that's pretty meta and uh, pretty baller. Melinda and I were actually just talking about that movie because it has one of my favorite jokes ever in it, which is just the sun's getting real low, big guy. I just love when that line is used as a joke. Like, I think they did it in Ragnarok as well. Like Thor tries to say it to the Hulk and then uh, Deadpool tries to say it to the juggernaut. And it's just such a good joke because it's so dumb. Yeah, it is. I love it. All right. I got one last one. You ready? Yeah. This one is going way back. And this is actually a cameo. This may not count, but it counts to me. This is a cameo that didn't even make it into the movie, but Harrison Ford actually cameoed in E.T. So there's a deleted scene from E.T. where Harrison Ford. So, you know, do you remember E.T.? Have you seen E.T.? Yeah, I mean, forever ago. But I do remember that it's in the it's technically in a world where Star Wars exists. Yes. Yes. That is the theory. I remember because there's toys, right? Doesn't he play with a Yoda toy or something? Yeah, he plays with a Yoda. Oh, you mean where the movie Star Wars technically exists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or where the yeah. reality of Star Wars. I'm, well, okay. and there's crossovers yes, for it, both, it, right? It, it because in, in The Phantom Menace, there are ETs. Yes, there are. Which technically means that ET is in a world where Star Wars exists on both levels. But let's not get let's not get into that. That's for a different episode. No, Harrison Ford. So there is the famous frog scene in the classroom where all the frogs get released. And then he, Elliot kisses the girl. Immediately following that scene was supposed to be another scene where Elliot is in the principal's office. And Steven Spielberg casted his friend Harrison Ford, who was also the husband of the screenwriter at the time. Casted Harrison Ford as the principal of the school. You can actually see this scene online. You never see Harrison Ford's face. 
He's all in shadow. It looks almost like film noir. He's in shadow. You see his hands and his foot at one point because he kicks up on his chair. But you hear his voice distinctly, and it's definitely Harrison Ford's voice. Um, The reason they took it out, one, because the scene's not that great, but two, because Spielberg felt that Harrison Ford, being a giant movie star, would take you out of the movie. If you're watching a movie where there is no Harrison Ford, and then all of a sudden the biggest star in the world pops up for one scene and then leaves... You're like, wait, what? Where's why is where's Harrison Ford? That doesn't make any sense though, because they cast a big movie star in that. Drew Barrymore was in it. Yeah, but that was the first thing she ever was in. I don't think so. She wasn't a big movie star back I then. I don't think so. Yeah, she was. I think I'd remember. I believe that. that it was. I think I'd remember that. You're funny. You're a funny one. We make jokes. Like I said, that's one. It's another one of my favorites because of the what could have been idea of changing the whole kind of landscape of that movie. I mean, that's such a classic movie that you, you put in this extra scene with this other thing and it becomes a whole different, it, it takes down the quality by putting in a great star. It takes down the quality of this movie. I remember I was so upset when they changed the guns to walkie talkies. Yeah. It's a stupid, that's a stupid thing. That's a stupid thing to do. Was he T George Lucas? It wasn't right. No. That was Spielberg. It really seems like something George Lucas would do. I know. It very, it feels very George Lucas. It, it was around the same time as the special editions. Yeah. Yeah. And they changed all the cigarettes to candy canes or something. They took those out too. I do remember that. Yeah. I don't think they changed them to candy canes. <laughs> they should have. They should just change them to random things at all times. Candy canes or... Dicks. Just dicks. <laughs> Just dicks. Just big dicks between their fingers. Wow. Humphrey Bogart comes out in Casablanca. He's got a big dick in his mouth. Uh. Just great. Just dicks. Man, Thank You for Smoking would be such a different movie. Oh, man. that Would they, would they change the title? The thank You for Dick Smoking. He's smoking something. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I don't know how loud that just got. Anyway. That is, um, oh wait, no, I have one more, but it's, it's a quick one. It's a special, it's a, like a, um, honorable mention. I'll call it ready. Honorable mention, Ron Jeremy cameo in Ghostbusters. Where is he? Background performer outside of Dana Barrett's apartment. You can see it. Look it up. I thought for sure you were going to say the boondock saints, which he's also in. He is in that. It's not bad in that, actually. It's actually not bad in that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's all the cameos I got. You got any more? I mean, I I could name off a million in Blues Brothers, but I I don't think we need to. Yeah. Let's save that. Let's save that for another time. Let's. You want to go on to reading assignments? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So last week I assigned you. No, not last week. Two weeks ago. What day is it? What time is it? Where are we? Who are we? I gave you the video game Inside by the makers Play Dead. Uh, this was a game that I had found and completely fell in love with. So I immediately wanted to find out your opinion because you play video games more than I do. You're a bigger gamer than I am. So I wanted to get your take on it. What did you What did you think of this? First of all, you, you kind of insinuated you played the whole game. You got through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You said Inside by Play Dead? Yes. Because I, uh, I thought you meant Inside the Actor's Studio, the video game. That's what I played because you just said inside and that's what we call inside the actor's studio. So I played that. You play as James Lipton. Right. And you sort of bumble around. And you got to get through all the blue cards. You have to get through all the blue cards. 
and uh, and you have to knock away all the curse words from all the actors because you keep asking them what their favorite curse word is. Yeah. And then like right. you keep getting like Christopher Walken saying darn. Is that not the same game? No, that's the one. So what did you what did you think of this? What did you think of this show? Yeah, I just put my glass down. What are you gonna do? <laughs> anyway. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Before I get into what I thought of it, I would like to describe it a okay, little bit. Okay, please do. Inside is a two and a half D side scroller from the company Play Dead, who also made the game Limbo, which I'm a huge fan of. You play as a young boy who runs through a forest, an office building, and a science lab with an unclear objective. So the first thing I want to do before I talk at all about this game is I want to ask you, what do you think it's about? That's the question, isn't it? Uh-huh. I've done hours of research on this. <laughs> I know. You get when you get done with the game and it sucks you down a rabbit hole. Like it it, it opens up a rabbit hole that you immediately want to jump down the internet for. Actually, before we ask the big question. I want to find out what you thought of this. Right, I do want right. to come back to, I do want to come back to what do you think it's about? But I will, I want you to, I, I'm curious on what you thought of this in the first place. This is my like end take. I think it's interesting. I think it's cool. Okay. I kind of enjoyed it. It's a lot of just holding the joystick to the right. Mm -hmm. There are some puzzles. None of them are very difficult. I played it for probably two hours before I beat it. There are people who've played it for an hour. Like there are run throughs where like mm -hmm. they go from the first, like from opening to closing and it's one hour. The game on the PS4 is $20. What? For an hour of gameplay. Oh, is it really? I didn't know that. I got it on sale for eight. Okay. But it is $20. You can buy it with Limbo for 30. Yeah. I just played The Last of Us Part 2, which a lot of people really didn't like, but I think it's incredible. That has about 30 hours of gameplay and is a $60 game. Right. So for 15 times as much gameplay and three times the price... It's hard for me to recommend this game. If it's, I did it, not know it was that expensive on PlayStation. Even I, if you find it for like five bucks, I, 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 I don't know. It's a coin toss for me. Like, right. it's still not, I didn't find it that much fun. Mm -hmm. Like, it's the kind of game that if it's, if you find it for free, yeah, give it a shot. It couldn't hurt. I think you said there's a free demo on iOS. Yes. Yeah, give that a shot. Yeah. It might be up your alley. The reason I like Limbo so much, and Limbo was probably a, sim a comparable price and less gameplay. The reason I like Limbo so much is because it was completely different than anything we had ever seen before. Inside is very similar to Limbo. Yeah. So like Playdead puts out another game. They're known for being this incredibly innovative and ingenious company making something the world has never seen before. And a lot of Inside is very similar to limbo see i've never played limbo it's very similar uh they use the same engine play dead created their own game engine to make limbo because none existed that would create what they wanted to make and then they took that same engine and they sort of reworked some things but it's basically the same engine but with more detail now like limbo is incredibly stylized it's only in black and white and it's like sort of stick figure-y characters this has yeah, a, I've seen stills. Yeah, this has a lot more detail, but it's clearly the same engine. It's the same two-button, two-and-a-half-D side-scroller idea. And it's, wait, like, you can probably get Limbo for free on some days. So, like, get that one first if you haven't played it. it so, again, even if this game costs anything, I don't know that I wouldn't, that I would advise people stay away or whatever. It's not like a bad game. 
but it's hard for me to recommend it if you have to pay for it. But if you can just download it for free at some point, yeah, get it. What appealed to me about this game was, and again, I'm not a huge gamer. You are, you are definitely more widely exposed to this world than I am. So you're more experienced at that. What appealed to me when I first started playing this was the idea of the way that the story can unfold itself slowly with really no words, no like, stop in the action you know what i mean like this kid is just i do but that's that's sort of a problem i have with it too is like does the story unfold or is it just stuff that you see Mm. you know like what what the fuck is the story right but i well that's fair but i like the idea of like it's just through the visual i like the idea of it's just through stuff that you see because here's another thing Uh, i was talking about the last of us part two if you intend on playing The Last of Us Part Two, because it's still a fairly new game and there was a lot of hype for it, skip ahead by uh, by like a minute or two, because I'm about to spoil the shit out of it. Go for it. The Last of Us Part Two, and for real, these are huge spoilers. Skip this. It's all a dream. The, <laughs> the first game ends like you're you are Joel and Ellie. You mostly play as Joel, and you get to know Ellie, and you play for like 20 hours. And you have this really intense emotional roller coaster that you have. The first 10 minutes of the second game, Joel gets beaten to death with a golf club. Holy shit. And you play as Ellie seeking revenge on the people who did this to him. You get about a third of the way through the game and you meet this, like you finally meet this woman. You're about to get your revenge. Right. The game stops on a dime. And you play as the woman who killed Joel starting the day after she killed him. I have heard this part. Okay. And like the first thing you see, like one of the first things you see is her having a nightmare. And in that nightmare, she dreams about the day her dad died. And it's a character. It's a nobody throwaway character from the first game that you as Joel killed. And it's a, it's like a moment that stands out to people for a number of reasons, but like, One of the reasons is when they were testing the first game, they had to put in something that forced the player to kill this character because it's a doctor. And he's basically like, you're going to have to kill me. And people kept trying to find ways to not kill this guy because he's just a doctor. So they had to force you to kill him. That guy is her dad. So no matter what way you played, you killed her father. And now you are playing his daughter seeking revenge on the man who killed her father. And then the two meet at a point and like, I don't want to spoil the ending because you might actually end up playing it. It's a lot of people didn't like it because it's not a um, cathartic. It's hard for me to how to describe it. It's not um, first blood. <laughs> it's not Rambo first blood where you just run in. Like there are parts that are like when you start killing people, there are characters who are like Christian. No, you know, like you hear their names and like there are people who are like, Sarah, does it, has anyone seen Sarah? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. not and just... you have to fucking kill dogs. Like they send dogs after you, and you have to fucking shoot dogs in the head. It's insane. And then the dogs are like Kevin, <laughs> Rufus, Rinton. It's slowly but surely like it asks the question because normally when you play a game like this, you're just like killing people left and right. Right. But this is like no, you should feel bad about this. You're taking people from their family. Right. And I think that's a a thing that a lot of people had difficulty coming to terms with is that like there is no right and wrong in this game. And it kind of hurts. Like you're supposed to feel bad when you play this game. (laughs) So something like that is like a very clear 
storyline that has a point A, a point B. All the characters have goals, intentions, and obstacles. And it's 30 hours of gameplay. Right. And it's a little bit more money. Right. Whereas something like this is a kind of expensive game for two hours of gameplay with maybe no story. Okay. So first of all, almost nothing happens. There's a clear moment, no specific spoilers, but there's a clear moment where something happens. At the end. Right. It's about yeah. three quarters of the way through. Yeah. And nothing storyline-wise has happened up to that point. Right. Except for maybe the first five minutes. And then nothing really happens in the story after until the last minute. And there are little there are little pieces you can pick up to try and theorize about what the plot is throughout. But they're not story moments or character moments. I did. I, I guess for me, I liked the idea of we're dropped into the middle of this. We're dropped in the middle of this and there's no because the boys stay silent and there's no like we stop and we meet this character. And then there's like a cut scene where they talk a little bit and we're dropped in the middle and we're just running. And so as things are scrolling by us, as things we're we're starting we're trying to pick things up about what the situation that we're in is there's a mystery about that that appealed to me that i was like okay i want to keep going one more step i want to keep going one more step because maybe this next step is going to reveal another piece of the puzzle i understand what you're saying and i think maybe after having played the whole game and seen where it ends I now also get what you're saying, because I'm not completely in disagreement with you. I played it three times. You should check out Limbo. I think you'd really like it. I do want to check out Limbo. I don't know that it's better than this, especially because, like, the reason it was so incredible is because nothing like this had ever been done. It's probably worse than Inside, like, as a game. But, like, I think if you like Inside, you'll probably like Limbo as well. Okay. Yeah, I do. And I, I've looked at Limbo and I was like, I should probably check this out. Because I, I've the more I've read about Inside, the more people are like, Limbo is amazing. Uh, like, every talk of Inside, they mention Limbo. Also, the visual, just some of the visuals in Inside, I, I thought were, like, they're really well done. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, everything that this company did for Limbo, they do the same thing for Inside, but it's, like, it's very clear that Limbo is their first game because the things that they are doing, while good, are not, like, overwhelmingly beautiful. And right. I, I will give Inside that, that, like, the things they do are overwhelmingly beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Like, the, the visuals, the audio... Um, Martin Stig Anderson created the music and sounds for both Limbo and Inside, creating sound via bone conduction with a human skull for Inside. Holy shit. This is from Wikipedia. He did not want to compose an actual soundtrack. Instead, he created the music by routing sound through a human skull and recording the result, a, quote, bone conducting sound, quote, that created a, quote, somber chill quality that often complements Inside's visuals. It is creepy as shit. That sound is really creepy. You can find video of him doing it. He has a fucking human skull. And someone says, hey, where did you get that? And he says, I'm not telling. <laughs> it's terrifying. So yeah, there is value in this game. If you're not playing a video game, if you're not looking for a game to look at, there were definitely times that I just stopped and like looked at things 
some of the visuals are so um so um stunning yeah they're they're compelling they're mind-blowing and just like works of art like you could see them hung in a digital artwork exhibit yes i did the same thing where i would just stop the boy and just like look for a minute yeah yeah but if you don't want to pay for art you're looking for like a game i don't know that this is something that would be worth it to you all right okay also i have no idea about that ending I have none. So I want to know, so what do you think the story is? What do you think it's about? Do you mean like thematically wise or like literally what do I think is going on? Both, I guess. I really meant like, who's this boy? What is he doing here? What's the point of this? Yeah. Why is he running? Yeah. Why is he trying to get inside? Right. I don't, you know, it's funny because for some reason the the title of the of the game did not click with me because when you're running... You assume, especially that first part in the forest where you're, you're running away. Yeah. So I assumed that he was running outside, like he was running away from it. And then at some point, and maybe he is, what's interesting is because it's a flat 2D and there are no words, you, you know, he doesn't ever speak or anything. Maybe at some point he is running out and then he run he decides to run back in because maybe where he's running into was where he was running from. Because I fu- the other thing I fully expected was that the end when you bust out of the of the um, building, you end up rolling down a hill that looks very similar to the beginning. And I thought it was going to end with it rolling down and essentially coming back to the beginning again. It's interesting. All right. So I'm about to lay some knowledge on you because, again, I did some like insane research into this. So a couple of things to point out. I mean, I tried looking it up afterwards and everyone's like, it's a mystery. And I'm like, someone just tell me. At a certain point, I'm like, just someone tell me. Have you seen the alternate ending? I have seen the alternate ending. Okay. So here we go. Mm -hmm. In the lab, when you are the giant, what's known as the huddle, that's what it's called. The big gobbledygook of pieces which haunts to me to this day it's terrifying it's very disturbing the company started with concept art for that oh they like started with that passed it to a a team of four different people who were all in charge of four different departments and said make this we're gonna work on the rest of the game it took like 10 percent of the game oh my god it's so disturbing and they had four different departments just working on that from the first day to its release it's so disturbing it is the huddle there's a part where you're running around in that and you make your way and you fall through and you fall into like a big test site area yeah and in that test site area is a 3D model that is the same spot that you end up at the end of the game. Oh. With a light shining down onto it. Like the same way the sun is shining down onto you at the end. Really? Yes. And it's a big part. Like it's not like some little piece of a bigger thing. It's that one section. That's all that's in there. Here's what I think this is. So the other thing to keep in mind is that the scientists help the huddle. There are a couple parts where like... They're actually trying to help you out, even though you're fucking killing them sometimes. Which, by the way, the one part where you land on a guy is just fucking... Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. And then you have, like, a blood smush stain on you for, like, the next 10 minutes. So I've seen two different main theories that are even on Wikipedia. There's different videos going over them. I think they're combined into one. 
uh, you can easily make them one theory. And my theory is that this is a scientific experiment, and the experiment is to see if you can make a concoction, a huddle of people and pieces that can control people from far away, and if it can get someone to let it out. And that's something that happens over and over and over again. And every time, they just make a new one. And then it gets a new guy, or a boy, or a girl, or a woman to come running in. And they send out these people with guns and dogs, because the person who is going to be saving the huddle has to be good enough to do certain things. Including swim, lift, push, pull, and they have to be fast. So if they're not fast enough, if they're not faster than the dogs, if they're not good enough at sneaking around to avoid these guys with guns, it's not good enough and we got to start over. So but once you do, the huddle is pulling the boy in, which is why the scientists, like once you get inside the facility, they're like, okay, this guy knows how to do everything we need him to do. So no big deal. It also explains why what, what's known as the siren, which is the little, the young girl who lives in the water why she gives you the ability to control other mind control guys without the helmet. And she gives you the ability to breathe because she is also controlled by the huddle. All of the sirens are controlled by the huddle. And then you make it there. And so that portion is all over. So the scientists don't give a shit. You go in to save the huddle and you do it by pulling off the mind control uh, things. Cause that's what they are. The four things that are attached to the huddle, they're mind control like helmets right you pull off three of them so one is still attached and then swim inside the huddle and then the fourth one becomes undone and then you control the huddle right the huddle right is who you've been controlling this entire time but you've been controlling the huddle controlling the boy and here's a further thing as well here's another reason for that more evidence okay that last part i have read that people think that it's the thing, the huddle. I know. This is some tinfoil hat shit. By the way, can I just point out, anyone who has not played this game by now is listening to this and it is just utter insanity. It is just complete gibberish right now. They are just, no one is listening to this part of the episode. It is just some weird ass shit right now. This is some Alex Jones shit. Yes. So the alternate ending to this game, mm-hmm. you collect a bunch of these things And then you go back to the beginning, you find a hatch, you go down and you put in this insane combination that's like up, 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 right, left, right, left, whatever, whatever. You go in and in there is a big computer room that has a mind control helmet that has like lines, cables going out. And there's also a power switch. And if you unplug the power switch, like you crumple into a ball and you go into a pose that is only ever seen in this game, by characters that are only used to be controlled by you. Which leads me to believe that that's you breaking the experiment. Okay, I see what you're saying. Like, you are cutting the the mind control connection between the huddle and you. I'm good with all of this. I'm 100%. So you're saying that, to go back to your first theory, that the place that the huddle ends up at the end is prearranged. It's like a just like a dumping site. Yes. Right. They've done this before and it always ends the same way. The only thing about this is like what scientist would sign up for this? Because 
a bunch of them die. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we shot him like six times before. He, the huddle usually kills like uh, about 10 to 12 of us. Here's another question. Who's to say they aren't being controlled by the huddle? Oh, but then why does the huddle need the sign? If, then why does the huddle need the scientists? Oh, to do all the manual labor? Yeah, to do all the man to do all the labor, to do all the work. Here's here's the other thing. I believe the like. But now you're saying you get nerds to do manual labor? No, no. The like the plot the hole. nerd labor, <laughs> the like computer labor. Here's the other. Here's the other thing. Uh, I have read that the the like metaphoric and existential point of this game and the story of this game is that. The scientists are the game designers. And, like, the whole point of this is that there is no point. They are controlling you. <laughs> well, that one is probably somewhat true. Because here we are talking about this game. Which you, by your own admission, were lukewarm on. So, and yet we've been talking about it for the last, like... 35 to 45 minutes. And I paid them for it. Yep. You dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. The, the other point too is that the other little piece of evidence is that we have seen that you can control someone and then put them in a mind control helmet and they can control someone else. Oh, you mean in the game? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought, never mind. <laughs> yeah. So like you can put on a mind control helmet and then control someone to go into a mind control helmet, and then they can control someone else. Like, that's one of the puzzle pieces. Right. That's... So the huddle oh boy. is Here controlling the boy yep. who then puts on a helmet and can control other people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I do. It's also how we got people to subscribe to this podcast. Waka waka. So... All right, let's, uh, we, we got to wrap this shit up. It's so, it's so late. Oh, it's so late. All right, I got one more thing to say. One of Playdead's founders said that their next game, which was first teased in January 2017, will be a, quote, fairly lonely sci-fi game set somewhere in the universe. It will probably be a third-person perspective in a 3D world, as the same founder was also quoted as saying the studio has been, quote, tired of the limitations of 2D games. Also, images of this game were released through Playdead uh, job listings last year, but were immediately removed. Did anyone screen capture any of them? So, like, I found some, but they're so they're like thumbnails. They're so hard to see what it is, you know? I mean, I'm definitely interested to see what their next game is. Yeah, same. Especially if it's going to be like a 3D third person game. I don't know, man. Yeah. All right. You have a reading assignment for me. I do. And it's a it's a weird one. <laughs> Just, okay. uh, it's, I need you to put on this helmet. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Um, all right. Do you know who Jenny Nicholson is? The name sounds familiar, but I don't know why. Okay. So Jenny Nicholson is a YouTuber who I have been following since her. This is why, because I believe you've mentioned her on the show several times. Probably since her. Tw uh, like 14th video okay. and she's got like hundreds now she forever ago three years ago she made a, a video called Suicide Squad Sales Pitch okay and it's it's very very funny so I'm going to recommend I'm going to give you that I'm going to give you a couple videos of hers that's okay. one of them uh, and I'm going to try to make most of them short because the, the main one I'm going to give you is an hour and 12 minutes long. Okay, okay. Uh, the Suicide Squad one is like three minutes, but like I'm going to try to give you a couple as like a lead-in of who this YouTuber is, and then I'm going to give you that one. 
because, all right, I'm going to let you in on something because it was going to be a secret, but I don't think we can do it anymore. I had a plan that I was going to tell you we were going to a convention. And then when you got there, I wasn't going to be there, but I sent Melinda with a camera and she was going to follow you around and it was going to be BronyCon. <laughs> I don't even care that you told me. I still want you to do this. BronyCon ended. Oh, that's They don't right. do it anymore. Yeah, that's why. Because as, as soon as I had it, they announced they weren't doing it anymore. And I was like, oh my God, I'm bad. so upset. That was the plan. So uh, Jenny Nicholson's last video as of recording this is called The Last BronyCon, A Fandom Autopsy. And it is a biography of the My Little Pony, like, fourth generation fandom from initiation to its death. Okay. Okay. I, okay. And it is fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. I'm fascinated by BronyCon. Not, it, not in a weird way, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. In a totally, totally normal, run-of-the-mill, uh-huh. heterosexual way. Yeah, in a totally normal, equine sexual way. They're just so pretty. They are very pretty. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, man, let's get the hell out of here. What do you say? I can't. I can't. You can't get out of here? I live here. Well, I'm going to go now. So I'm going to do this real quick. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Where can they find us? Oh, they can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play Music, on SoundCloud.com slash The Media Lunch Break. You can find us on Twitter where we probably have 3,000 followers. But if we don't, please follow us on Twitter. And if we do, also still follow us on Twitter. Yeah, please. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube.com slash The Media Lunch Break. You can give us all of your money. Or uh, if you don't want to give us all of your money, you could this like backup Give us option. some of your money. You can give us some of your money. And that's Patreon.com slash The Media Lunch Break. You can send us an email at TheMediaLunchBreak at gmail.com. Visit our website, which is www.TheMediaLunchBreak.com. Rate us. Review us on iTunes and SoundCloud and YouTube. do 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 to do and also thank you to julie our number one super fan thanks julie all right all right that's it all right well we used to there used to be no thing and now there's totally a thing isn't that amazing we did a thing we did something today and you can do it too i think it's amazing that we're still alive Boy, howdy. Was this the episode that we were talking about Herman Cain? No, that was the last episode. It feels... <laughs> no, wait, maybe it was. I think it I was I don't know anymore. One. I can't even keep track anymore. Someone tell us if we were talking about Herman Cain on this episode or not. I don't know. Who even knows if that's in the episode? This episode is so long. It's so unbelievably long. Luckily, it's not my problem anymore. Yeah. <laughs>